listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Well, good morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 14. Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. What an awesome opportunity to be in God's Word today, and I'm so grateful you came to join us. Mark 9 verse 14. Hear what God's Word has to say. And when they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked him, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening? And he said, From childhood. And it was, it, he says, And it often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out but by prayer, by anything but prayer. You know, outside of our spouses, there's nothing more precious than our children. You know, it's really kind of hard to describe, but when they hurt, you hurt. And if you're not a parent, maybe you don't understand. But those of you that are watching that are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember a few months ago uh, getting a call from my wife. I was here at the office. I was talking to somebody, and I got a call from her saying, you need to come uh, immediately to the pediatric ER uh, there in Lake Mary, and we need to, you need to get there in a hurry because Andrew's had a bike accident. I remember in that moment, my heart almost skipping a beat as, as, as I was just, just, just had this moment of anxiety. Now, now, that anxiety was not just about the deductible. It was also about the boy. And there I was in that moment just thinking, well, what's this going to be like? What's wrong with him? What has he done? And, and that pain was, was real. You know, seeing your kids hurting and being unable to do anything but trust them into the hands of somebody else, that's hard and it's also humbling. But I want you to just imagine with me, can you imagine the, what, what it would have been like for that mom and dad of this young, this young man who was deaf, mute, but also demon-possessed? You know, for years, this young man had had been in this condition, and these parents were absolutely helpless. This was not a normal kid. 
You know, think about this, living daily life with a kid like this. People stared at them. People spread rumors about them. Actually, the thought of that day is that if your child had a disability, it was because something that you did as a parent was wrong, maybe before they were born. If you remember in John chapter 9, the man that was born blind, that they asked, well, did he sin or did his parents sin? Now, think about that. These parents had, had probably heard people say, look at those parents. And probably the whispers were, you know, what, what kind of parents were these people? You know, if they were better parents, this wouldn't be happening to their kids. Now, I know that doesn't happen in our day, right? But just imagine the pain of these two parents. They'd probably given up hope that their son would ever be normal. Now, in time, maybe they grew callous and numb to the stares and the gossip and the innuendo. But you know what I think they never got over? The pain of seeing their child hurt. And so here we have this episode in the life of Jesus. And here's what I want to get in this story. In this story, we're going to see Jesus teach his disciples through the doubts of a desperate dad that they had a daily need for dependence on Jesus. You know, we'll begin here with just in the first point I want to bring up is the disputing disciples. In verses 14 through 19, we, we see these disciples of, of Jesus and, and they're in a dispute. As a matter of fact, in verse 14, it says that when Jesus came down to the disciples. Now, what's going on? Well, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus is with Peter, James, and John, and they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. There on that mountain, Jesus revealed His glory. And they've now come back down from the mountain. And it was a very surreal moment for those three men. And they're back to reality. Now, as they're coming down, the other nine disciples have a huge crowd of people all around them. It, it was like a, it was like a, a ring of a fire, all this different commotion, these different people arguing and debating back and forth. You had the disciples and you had the scribes, and, and these scribes were the religious intelligentsia of Jerusalem. And, and probably, no doubt, these other nine disciples are saying, where is Jesus when we need him? And so in verse 15 and 16, the Bible says that Jesus shows up Immediately he shows up and the crowd clamors around him. The crowd flocks to him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that they were greatly amazed when they saw him. Now, that could be translated that they were in trembling astonishment. And some people say, well, why is that? Well, maybe because Jesus showed up at the exact right time. Or maybe there was some sort of afterglow of Jesus having been transfigured before Peter, James, and John as he was coming down the mountain like Moses when his face shone out of coming out of Mount Sinai. But here, Jesus asked this question, what are you arguing about? Now, what were the disciples arguing about at the foot of the hill? Well, they were arguing about methods of exorcism. See, the disciples were trying to cast out a demon and were very unsuccessful. And no doubt, these scribes were probably there making fun of their ineptitude. Perhaps these disciples got to the place where they thought, you know what, we did it before and we can do it again. In chapter 6 of Mark's Gospel, the Bible tells us in verse 13 that the disciples were given the authority to cast out demons. So in verse 17, Jesus asks this question, what are you arguing about? And there was a man that steps up and he shares what's going on. He says, listen, essentially, the reason that these disciples and scribes are, are, are fighting is because of me. I, I came here and I have a son who is demon-possessed. He is deaf, that is, he's unable to hear, and he's mute, he's unable to speak. And this demon is, is really wreaking havoc. As a matter of fact, as you kind of read this graphic description, it, it resembles seizures that, that, that seem like, that make you think that the child was epileptic. 
Now, we know, Mark tells us, that this child was in this condition because there was a demon possessing him. And so this dad was very desperate. You know, some of you may think your children are demon-possessed. Well, this dad knows that he's demon-possessed, and he's in a very desperate condition. If you read what Matthew says, the man comes to Jesus and he kneels in Matthew 17. In Luke 9, the Bible says that he begged Jesus for help because this was his only son. And so he came to these disciples and tried to get help. And he, and he says to Jesus, listen, I came to them and I couldn't get any help from them. I came looking for you, but you weren't here. So I went to the next best thing. I went to your disciples and they weren't any help at all. According to the ancient writers, the messenger of a man was the man himself. And so this guy said, well, I can't get Jesus. I'll get his disciples. And they were useless. You know, it, made me, it kind of makes me think that I wonder how many people come to our church looking for help and they don't find any. You know, how many people do you know that are skeptical of Christianity because of Christians? Gandhi said, listen, I would have been a Christian if it were not for Christians. That's why first impressions matter. Well, here you have this exorcism. Now, what this tells us is that the Bible shares with us that evil is real. It's not an illusion. And that there are real demons and demonic forces in this world. As a matter of fact, Mark's gospel has four different exorcisms that you find. As a matter of fact, the very first miracle in Mark's gospel in chapter 1 is Jesus uh, taking away an unclean spirit from a man. In chapter 5, you see that Jesus is going to do this for another guy uh, who was uh, in the area of Gadaria in, in northern Galilee, outside of the Sea of Galilee. And he was a man that was possessed with a legion of demons. He had thousands of demons. As a matter of fact, the demons went into the pigs, the pigs flew off the cliff, and it was the first case of swine flu. But in chapter 7, we see that there's another uh, lady who was a Syrophoenician woman. She was a Gentile, and her daughter was demon-possessed, and Jesus delivers her. And so these disciples had seen Jesus over many different seasons, and this is not the only time Jesus performed exorcism, but they saw Jesus do it over and over and over again, and maybe in their minds they thought this, you know what, we've learned it, we've seen the best. So teaching and technique is all we need. And so they came thinking that they could just do what they've seen done in the past. They already had been given the authority, but guess what? They were completely useless. And that's why Jesus in verse 19 says this, Oh, faithless generation. Jesus here is frustrated. You know, as I was reading this, it is very helpful to know that Jesus got frustrated. See, Jesus didn't sin. And so you could be frustrated and not sin. Jesus here is denouncing this entire group of people. You say, well, who is he saying? Is he talking about the crowds, dad? Is he talking about his disciples? I think he's talking about everybody. Uh, and he says, it's not that they are unfaithful, but they're faithless. He says, you guys don't have a clue, especially these disciples. These men had seen Jesus do all kinds of things, and yet they were still relying on their own strength. Sinclair Ferguson on this text says this, he says, Mark captures the pressures and frustrations of Christ's life in these verses. On the mountaintop, Jesus is faced with the spiritual short-sightedness of his disciples. But here in the valley, he is confronted with their unbelief. Jesus says, how long do I have to put up with you? Jesus wasn't upset about their lack of ability. He was upset about their lack of faith. How is it that they could have walked with Jesus, seen what Jesus had done, and not believe. You know, one of the passages at the end of Matthew's gospel, after Jesus had risen from the dead, the Bible says that they worshiped him, but many doubted. You know, it's amazing to me how quickly, even in my own life, I can turn from confidence 
to crisis when it comes to my faith. That I can believe passionately today and be tempted to deny Him tomorrow. So here we see these disputing disciples. But now I want you to see this desperate doubt. In verse 19, after this man has now spoken to Jesus, Jesus says to the disciples uh, and to this dad, bring the boy here. He does not allow the frustration of the situation keep him from doing ministry. As they bring the boy to Jesus, the demons tremble and cause the boy to have an episode. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm sick, I go to the doctor and it seems like my symptoms completely clear up. But for this, the doctor, the great physician Jesus, sees this boy and the demons tremble because the demons know that Jesus is God. Jesus asked this question in verses 21, how long has this been happening? The reason that Jesus asked the question of the dad is not that he was assessing the situation. He was entering into the dad's world. And as you read the text here, you will see that the dad's going to say, he's been like this since childhood. Now again, I want you to think about this. This young man has been attacked for years. The demon has tried to kill this boy by either burning him or drowning him. As a matter of fact, I can kind of see the dad say, look at the burn marks. Look at the cutting marks. He has been doing this since he was a little boy. You know, I wanted to teach him how to fish. I wanted to teach him how to hunt. I wanted to teach him how to do things. But no, my entire job since he, this kid was born is to make sure he doesn't kill himself. Think about the hurt of this man. And so he says to Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion. Help us. Now, I want you to notice, he says, if you can do anything. He doesn't say, if you would. He says, if you can. Now, why would he phrase it like that? And here's why. I think that he probably came to the place where the disciples were, hoping to see Jesus, hoping to have a miracle. But when he ran into Jesus' disciples and saw that they couldn't do anything, he lost hope. You know, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is going to heal a leper. And the leper says to Jesus, if you will... But now the dad says, if you can, because in the dad's mind, he wasn't sure if Jesus could or couldn't. So he said, basically, Lord, if you can do something, I would greatly appreciate it. Have you ever, heard, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, I don't know if you can do this or not, but if you can, it would be helpful. See, this guy wants to believe. For, for years, he's been hurt, and for years, he's had dashed hopes, and, and that's caused him to be skeptical, and it's caused him to doubt God's ability to do anything. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe through years of, of misery and years of pain and, and constant, almost you feel like you're Charlie Brown trying to kick the football, and it's always been taken away from you, and now you begin to place that thought on God that, that God, you're really maybe not as strong as I thought you were. And so it's almost as if this man turns to Jesus for help, but he doesn't really expect any help to come, especially after seeing his disciples goof it all up. So in verse 23, notice how Jesus responds. He says, if you can. Jesus is saying, listen, my ability is not the problem here. It's not a matter of whether I can or can't. The issue is not if I can. The issue is, do you believe that I can? Jesus is saying, do you trust in my ability and do you trust in my power? See, you kind of notice Jesus, he's turning it back on the dad. And then he makes this great statement in verse 23. All things are possible to the one who believes. Now, there's been a lot of abuse with that verse. But 
but Jesus here is very candid. He's very truthful. But I want you to get that the key of get, get to getting what you want is not just you simply believe it. It's not some sort of name it and claim it, some sort of magical spell. What Jesus here is talking about is faith, but here's the key to it. It's not faith in faith. It's not just being positive or, or doing good things and, and having good karma. But what faith does is this. Faith connects us to Christ who does the work. Faith is not the work, but only connects us to the one who truly can do the work. So think about it this way. Faith is like an extension cord. So if you've ever been out in your garage and you needed uh, to plug something in, maybe you had a drill, maybe you had a saw, and, and I don't know about you, but in every garage I've ever been in, in my entire life, there are never enough outlets. And so you go there and you want to plug in uh, the saw, you want to plug in the drill, and, and inevitably every one of those have an itty bitty cord. So what do you do? You get an extension cord and you plug it into the outlet in the wall and you plug it into the machine and what that extension cord does is it connects the machine to the power. Now there's no power in that cord. The power only comes through the connection. That's what faith is. Faith is the extension cord that gets us to the power. That's all it is. So when Jesus says all things are possible to those who believe, He's saying you put the extension cord of faith to my power and anything is possible. So the man says in verse 24, notice what he says here, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's probably one of the most honest prayers in the Bible. It's kind of a paradox. In this man's heart was belief and knowledge, but also doubt. This man doesn't run away. He confesses to Jesus the truth. I am weak. I am helpless. I am doubting. Now look, it's natural to doubt. And, and, but, but also, as you understand, doubting is not the goal, but doubting is real. As a matter of fact, in Jude 22, the writer Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Maybe that's kind of where you are. I believe, but. I believe, but why would you allow this to happen to me? I believe, but how could I lose my job? I believe, but why haven't you stopped COVID-19? I believe, but why would my spouse leave me? I believe, but why is my family out of control? I believe, but why am I so lonely? Maybe you thought this, you know, I believe, God, that you're in control, but I don't know if you're in control of this situation. Or I believe, God, that you're good, but I don't know if you can provide the need that I feel like I have. Or I believe that you're wise, but I don't know that I should do what you say. And so... What this man says to Jesus is this, Jesus, I want to, but I'm not there yet. I have my doubts, but I don't really want to doubt anymore. I want to believe. That's why he said, help my unbelief. He had a desire to believe despite his doubts. And here's the good news about this guy. He didn't let his doubts keep him from Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, all right, you'll get it figured out and then come back to me when you're ready. Jesus comes in and he responds. This man's faith was small, but it was real. And that's what Jesus responds to. He responds to humble faith, not perfect faith. I want you to think about this. When you struggle to believe, the best thing you can do is to continue desiring to believe and to live as if you do believe. The only bridge from our inadequacy and God's omnipotent power is faith. See, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that matters the most. 
See, if you're one of those crazy people, you know there are some crazy people out there, especially in Florida, but if you're one of those crazy people who jumps out of a perfectly good airplane with a parachute on, yes, you're crazy, but you know the only thing that matters if you jump out of an airplane with a parachute, you know what matters, is the ability of that parachute to work and to slow you down just enough to keep you from going splat. You can have all the faith in the world in that parachute. You can jump out of that plane and say, I believe in you, parachute. I believe in you, parachute. But your faith is only as secure as that parachute is strong. The same is true with your everyday life. You don't have to have great faith, just faith in a great God. If faith is just believing in yourself, then your faith is only as good and secure as you can make it. But if your faith is believing in God, then your faith is as strong and secure as God is. It's not the amount of faith, but it's the object of faith that matters the most. So here this man comes. He had a little bit of faith, but he had it directed to Jesus, the object of his faith. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke him. He helps him. And the Bible says in verse 25 that he gets the crowd, he sees the crowd, and he goes and he rebukes the unclean spirit. And he says, I command you, leave this boy and never come back. In that moment, that moment of faith, Jesus became the personal Savior to this man and this man's family. Jesus personally saved this boy from death and disaster. And how did it happen? It happened by faith. The desperate doubt of this dad turned to small faith in Jesus Christ. And that small little faith in Jesus Christ connected this man and his family to the saving power of Jesus. And the same can be true with you. Now, as you read the story, you kind of get the rest of the story. And that leads us to this last point, daily dependence. See, you remember that Jesus is teaching His disciples through the desperate doubt of a, of a dad how that you and I need a daily dependence on Him. And so in verse 28, there's this debriefing that goes on. The Bible says that they enter into the house and the disciples ask Him privately. They say, Jesus, why couldn't we get rid of that demon? See, the disciples, especially the nine, they knew that they had the authority to cast out unclean spirits. But in this time, it didn't work. And so Jesus says to them, here's why, in verse 29. And He said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The, this kind is not this kind of demon. It's not like it was some super demon. But this kind is anything that seems to be impossible, anything that is hard, there are just some things in life that the only solution is prayer. See, what Jesus is teaching them through this episode is that they still need Him. They cannot just rely on themselves. When they pray, when He's calling them to pray, and He's calling us to pray, when you and I pray, we are expressing our reliance on God and not on ourselves and not on our past successes. See, these disciples were powerless. You want to know why they were powerless? Because they weren't dependent. They drifted from reliance upon Jesus towards self-reliance and they forgot the true source of their power that it wasn't in them, it was in Jesus. See, prayerlessness is an expression of self-reliance and skepticism. If we don't pray, you know why you say, oh, I kind of struggle praying. You don't know why I struggle praying, why you struggle praying. It's because we don't feel like we need to. It's because we feel like that we can handle any situation that comes our way and we maybe even think in our minds we can handle it better than God. 
you know what? God often gives us trials. He often gives us struggles to drive us to Him. I think that for anything COVID-19 has done, hopefully it's pointed us all to our need for Him. Totally un un uncharted territory, totally something different, something that you, you have no other way to, to figure it out. It's just you live day by day. And what that should drive us to is it should drive us to God. You know, as a, as a pastor, sometimes I feel inadequate. Uh, as a person, as a man of God, I feel inadequate. I mean, I'm called to shepherd thousands of you. I, I'm called to pastor my own family. And I don't know, maybe many of you feel inadequate. You know, the best thing about it is it's true. You are inadequate. And you know what I, I think God does? Is that God allows us to see our inadequacies so that we learn to rely on Him. One of my favorite verses is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, in which, in which Paul says this, Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, but this was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Not rely on us, but on God who raises the dead. Now, Jesus says this kind, whatever needs prayer, no amount of experience, no amount of hard work, intellect, physical strength, money, or social media prowess can solve the problem. Only prayer. Why? Because prayer is faith turned towards God. Prayer express, expresses our reliance on God. If we are aware of our own inadequacy to deal with the situation, when you and I are aware of that, we will pray. Now, I love my kids. I love them very much. But my kids ask me for stuff all the time. Do yours do that? Just this week, my daughter Anna came up to me and, and you know, we're, we're trying to get creative with things that we're doing. And now they're, they're the whole family, not the whole family, but the kids are really fascinated with water balloons. And, and they love to just do things with water balloons and, and it's fun. And so they ran out of water balloons. And so my daughter Anna comes up to me, she says, Daddy, will you take me to the dollar store and buy me some water balloons? I just got home from work. It kind of had been a long day. And I said, all right, honey, maybe later Daddy will take you. She just looks at me, smile on her face, says, thanks, Daddy. And then she goes and talks to her other brothers, Aaron and Andrew. And I heard her say, yes, Dad said he's taking me to the store right now. What do you guys want? And it's just like a never-ending thing. I didn't tell her I was going to take Anyway, all I can say is my kids ask and they ask and they ask. Well, why do they ask? Why do your kids ask? Here's why they ask. Number one, they ask because they know they're unable to get it themselves. They couldn't, Anna could not get the water balloons by herself. So they ask. We ask because we're unable, they ask because we're unable to get themselves. Two, the reason that my kids ask is because they believe that I am able to get it for them. Okay? But third, you want to know the, the third reason, which I think is probably the most important, is that they believe that I love them enough to give them what they ask and they hope that I will get it for them. This is how we should live our lives. See, when my kids ask, it's an expression of faith. They're trusting in my ability. They're trusting in my love. And they know that I do love them. This is how you and I should live our lives. Kevin DeYoung said this. He says, if you don't pray, it's because either you have very little problems or you have very little faith. Now, as we end this message, I want you to note something. This story is found in three of the four Gospels. It tells us it's a very important account. But in Mark's account, it's the most detailed. You know, if you've read the Gospel of Mark, Mark is a very little detailed kind of guy. He gets straight to the point. One of his favorite words is immediately, immediately, immediately. But he gives the details of this story on purpose. Why? Because he wants to address 
our personal skepticism and doubts of Jesus. He wants to show us our need for Jesus every day. Three things I want to share with you that he teaches. Number one, he teaches us in in this story that there's no problem in your life Jesus can't solve. Nothing is impossible for God. Two, he teaches us that teaching and technique are not enough to deal with your problems. Past success is no guarantee for future success. And the third thing he teaches is don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. Even if you struggle to believe, don't stop. Never give up. You know, maybe you're thinking, what would it look like in my life if I had more faith? What would I do if I had more faith? What would it look like in my life if I had more faith? You know what I think the answer is? You would pray. Because when you pray, you're acknowledging your need for God. Let me end with this. This past week, I was speaking to somebody, and I was sharing the gospel with them. And we got to that point where I was asking them some questions, and this person said, I want to believe in Jesus, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling to surrender to Him. And and, and here's what essentially this person said, I want to believe, but there's a barrier. Maybe that's where you are. You want to believe, but there's a barrier. And I began to press this person, and I said, what do you think that barrier is? And this person said to me, I really, in my heart, don't believe that God loves me. I'm skeptical of that. And you know what I looked at him and I said? I said, you want to know how I know that God loves me and how God loves you? As He died on the cross for us. Today, if you're doubting God's love, look to the cross. Jesus took your punishment. Jesus died for you. Jesus gave His life for you and three days later rose from the dead. He loves you. And yes, maybe you say, I want to believe, but I'm struggling to surrender. Here's what I would say. Be honest with God. That's what this man was. He was honest. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What I want to ask you to do is I want you to just say that in honesty to God. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I'm going to surrender to you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to be honest with God. You know, I talked to you about jumping out of of a perfectly good airplane. You know, that's scary. For some of you, giving your life to Jesus feels like jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. But here's the truth. That parachute of Jesus will always hold you up. And you don't have to have great faith. You just have to have faith in Jesus. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to take that jump. I want you to take that leap. I want you to surrender your life to Jesus right now. Thank you for listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. For more information or how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.